are listening to Pastor Ben Eckel of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. As we're motoring through 2 Kings 8, we're, we're going to get into a, a portion of this. You've got to remember, these were the history books of Israel. But there's still a lot to extract from and learn from. We learned last week on who not to marry, right? We're going to learn this week who not to marry. I don't know, is there someone, someone watching or somebody in the room who's considering marrying or getting involved with an ungodly person? Like, I don't, I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's just coming up twice here. So, <laughs> uh, so let's jump into verse 16. It says, Now in the fifth year of Jerome, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jerome, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. So it says, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So we see that in a time of transition or power vacuum, the enemy is always quick to strike. So Jerome went to Zaire and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. Thus Edom had been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day and Libna revolted at that time. So we see as he made an advance, he didn't quite get any success here. They surrounded him, he broke the lines and they skedaddled out of there. So kind of humiliating. It says, now the rest of the acts of Jerome and all that he had did, are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Jerome, or Joram, excuse me, rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of uh, Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Lots of stuff there. Uh, 26. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So we see the apple does not fall too far from the tree in this family, and you see the downward spiral. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Jerome, or Je Joram. Excuse me. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Hazel, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Now, uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 9. 
And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take the flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not delay. All right. So we have this guy, uh, Jehu. Fascinating guy. Guy gets pretty hoss in this story, doesn't he? The guy doesn't waste any time. You know, God's going to anoint him to clean house. Show up and get her done. All right, I like that. You know, you look at where God puts certain people in the scriptures and the time frame, just like you and I. You and I are set aside in this time frame to do what God's called us to do, right? You ever get nostalgic like, man, I wish I would have been in those great revivals. No, I like toilet paper and aspirin. No, I, I wouldn't want to have been in the, you know, the squalor of, you know, the turn of the century in Scotland. I wouldn't want any of that. You know, it's romantic to read in a book. But, hey, I love technology. I love comfort. I love ease. You know, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I fit there. But Jehu is uh, going to clean house. So he needs to be anointed. And we know Jehu, he's, he's a captain of, of Ahab's army. Like he, he wouldn't have been, I think, the heir apparent. This is God's man. You know, God doesn't pick the way you and I pick, right? Some of us understand we all have an anointing, right? Men, you are anointed to be husbands and fathers, right? Guys in church, you all have a, a role to play in church, whether you be the vacuum guy or you be the change the water bottle guy or you are the... Worship leader, the pastor, there is an anointing. It's an unction from God to do what you're called to do. And that's all you need, right? If God is telling you to do something, it's time to do it. And he's given you what you need, right? He, he will equip the called. He doesn't necessarily call the equipped. You have his word. You have your Holy Spirit dwelling in you and upon you. And with that, God is going to send you into the crucible of life. And you're going to learn as you go. Right? You fake it as you make it, you know? But when God says do something, you just step out and do it and watch him bless it. And he tells, Elisha tells his understudy, he says, get in and get out. Why didn't Elisha go? I think at this time, anywhere Elisha went, people were watching. And if he shows up in your town with his track record, they're like, uh oh. Uh oh. This. You know, just think of like Lee Van Cleve from those old spaghetti westerns, you know, like when he'd walk into those towns, you're like, this isn't a good thing. Elisha probably was just one of those dudes like, oh, no. Think of like, I don't know, if the Terminator was Billy Graham. Just this guy's got game. So he says, let's send the, the most inconsequential guy. He says, get in there, anoint him and boogie, because the minute this guy gets the call, he's going to he's going to jam. He's going to do his job. He says, open the door and flee and do not delay. I like that. You know, when God gets my attention, he tells me something to do about 12 years in advance. Because he knows I'm a little slow, you know. Remember, as a kid, mom would wake you up about 7.30 to get you on the bus by like 8.39. Just because you're just like, ah, ah, ah. 
right? Some of us are a little slow to respond to our call, but, you know, just if God's calling you, he's not making a prank call. It says, so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived there was the captains of the army sitting, and he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. All right, here's the task. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males of Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Yikes. A little graphic, right? He's saying, act swiftly, act completely, right? It needs to be thoroughly done. You know, it's no different to us when God says, crucify our flesh, right? He says, kill it. Don't play with it. Don't try to reform it. Are there things in our life that got to go? You can't bring that into your walk with the Lord. It may have worked in the street. It may have been good for your hustle, but now the Lord's not really, he's in judgment mode. He's raised this man up to judge, right? It's just like when the Lord comes into our life, what does he start doing? Oh, he builds the whip into your temple and starts cleaning it out. You're just like, oh, Lord, I was, oh, I was just basking in this song. And now he's like, hey, get rid of that. Time to, time to tune up. But he's got he's to take care of this so that these guys aren't free to continue to propagate. He's doing an administration change here, and they have to act swiftly. You know, and this is a fulfillment of God's word, because one of the things God promised was to take care of this mess. Now, we're going to see the justice of God. What is, what is God's justice? What is justice, really? Getting what you deserve. Oftentimes, I think we accuse God of not acting justly. But we got to remember, God is very what? Long-suffering, right? He's long-suffering. Slow to anger, abounding in mercy, right? Right? God is all that. God loves the worst people that walk this earth, right? Some of you guys are proof of that, right? I mean, let's just be real. Aren't you glad God did not throw the rapture at us 30 years ago? Right? Some guys aren't even 30. You wouldn't have been here. But the idea is God gave Ahab plenty of time and space to get right. He didn't take advantage. <coughs> but now he needs to act. And sometimes, so as, as I see God's word be very, very slow to execute, I get frustrated because... God doesn't think like me. Isn't that frustrating about God? Like, why doesn't he do things the way I do? You know, kill them all, let God sort them out. I mean, that's really what the book of Revelation is all about. But God is trying to work something in and out of King Ahab. But Ahab has already passed. Now his kids are on the scene, and we got to get rid of these guys. First uh, Kings 21 is, is the um, prophecy, if you're taking notes, uh, picking it up in verse 21 of, of chapter 21 of 1 Kings. He says, Behold, I will bring calamity on you, 
I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both free, and bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So, we see a partial repentance after that, but it didn't quite stick. So God's got to act. Christian, bring this home to us. Don't mistake God's long-suffering with his permission of your sinful lifestyle. Right? Just because God hasn't acted yet doesn't mean he's okay or, or, or permissive of what you're doing. Okay? He just knows who he's dealing with. But there always comes a time where God just has to act. And it's on behalf of the nation of Israel. He, he's, he's judging to keep people in. Sometimes God has to take us out to protect other people. Right? And so uh, Jehu's raised up for the task. Verse 11, it says, Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Uh, why did this madman come to you? And just think of the scene. The guy's just dripping in oil. Like, uh, nothing to see here, guys. Like, bro, why are you greasy? Chad changed tranny on the, on the chariot real quick. Uh, it says, And he said to them, You know the man in his, in his babble. And they said, a lie, tell us now. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king of Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it up under him on top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. You know, when one man takes on the anointing of God and walks in the anointing of God, the other men around him, what happens? It's like a chiropractor. Everyone's spines stiffen up, right? These guys were probably frustrated at the condition of their northern kingdom, having to serve an inferior, emasculated man who's abdicated to his wife. And now they're finally a man's man's on the scene. And these guys have, have gone to war with him. And they're like, ooh, ooh, this guy's going to get some stuff done, right? And so it's encouraging to the men that, that are around us when we walk on our calling, right? You don't need anyone's approval. You just got to do what God's telling you to do, and other people will follow. How do you know you're a leader? You have followers. <laughs> so, they, so Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against uh, Jerome, Jer or Joram, excuse me, now, Joram had been defending Ramoth-Gilead, and he and all of Israel against Haziel, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Hazeah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now a watchman stood on the tower 
and Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let them say, is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying the messenger went to them, but it is not coming back. And he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Some of you guys probably want to get the Jehu license plate, right? Any, any Jehus in the room that um, just think that two-digit number is a suggestion on your way to Marquette? <laughs> Jehu is like an expert chariot driver. It's like a tank driver. Like this dude, you know, he's he's got game. It's not just he's like, you know, fast and furious, you know, Israel edition. This dude really knows what he's doing. He's a warrior. But notice this delegation, these watchmen kept coming up and saying, hey, is this peace? Isn't that what the world does? The world wants us to compromise with them. Hey, peace, let's all get along. Let's coexist, right? Satan loves to get us to compromise. Hey, don't be a fanatic. Hey, take your fanaticism down a notch. You know, when people call you and I a fanatic, that means they acknowledge you love Jesus better than they do, right? Hey, tone it down a notch. You don't have to be a Jesus freak, right? You don't have to be so outspoken. You don't have to be so obedient. Everyone's doing it, right? That's what Satan does. He just loves to offer you a compromise. See, he can't have you back necessarily, but he can inoculate your effectiveness. He comes to you with peace treaties. Hey, buy a house, buy a property, get a job. Get a high-paying job so you'll never be outspoken about Christ because you're worried about being fired. Oh, here's a vacation, right? Ah, you, you can enjoy your liberties. You can, you, can, you can do all these things in the name of Jesus, right? Oh, and, and just mind your own business and just serve God quietly in the peace and quiet of your house, right? He can bribe you out of war. I read my Bible saying when I'm born again, I'm born into a battlefield. People are dying and going to hell, right? Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring what? A sword. I never found this plaque in Hobby Lobby, right? They were celebrating, you know, peace and goodwill to all men. A baby is born. Oh, cute baby Jesus. Well, baby Jesus is going to come back on a horse someday, right, with a sword coming out of his mouth, and the blood's going to flow to the bridles, okay? I love those verses where, you know, God says, I am a God of war. <laughs> we are in a war. The war for people's souls, Right? This guy's going, hey, I don't have time to be nicey-nice. I got work to do. Heads are going to fly. Well, verse 21, then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and meet him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Remember this story? Ooh, this is what kind of got Ahab into trouble. We'll, we'll get more into that. But it's funny how God is going to get the last word about this, right? He's going to redeem the situation. Now, I, I might just have 
I might just have Hunter come up and read his life verse right here. <laughs> the Bible's yo mama joke. Oh, there's, there's trash talk in the Bible, people. There really is. Verse 22, it says, now it happened. When Joram saw Jehu, that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace? As long as the harlot trees of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Woo! Woo! Don't talk about my mom like that. Well, the problem of the country is your mom. Your mama ruined the country. Like, let's just be real. She had no business being here. Your dad should have never married her. This should have been dealt with years ago. And the only way to deal with it now is to kill it. Kill it dead. All right? Hey, same with us, guys. You know, there's still plenty of work to do in our world. Right? You want to change the world? Change you. Right? Do you still find yourself lying? Deal with the lying. Do you still deal with coveting? Deal with that. You know, are you still dealing with lust? Deal with that. There's plenty of work to do, right? That's where the war is, right? It's a war against ourselves, isn't it? It's a war against our flesh. Satan's, someday, I don't think Satan has any credit in my life. He's just up there going, watch this. Watch this, what I'm going to do. Hey, Ben, eggnog's on sale. Really? Where? (laughs) What peace? Don't ever settle, Christian. You know, the difficulty I find, you know, at the 20-year hump, I'm 48 years old, okay? The difficulty as an older Christian is to keep up the pace. There's always a temptation to throttle down and to coast, right? Bible talks about lukewarmness. You're neither hot nor cold, right? You sometimes, you ever feel like you've arrived as a Christian? No. Satan has just told you you've arrived. The more you get into the Word of God, the more you walk in the light of God's Word, what do you find? Filth, vileness, garbage, trash. Oh, and we've learned to polish it, haven't we? Oh, it's been there so long, you know. Not to God. He's like, hey, sanctification is over at your funeral. There's work to do. We need to be obedient. Keep fighting. Keep digging out the garbage in our life. All right. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jerom between his arms, and the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Okay, anyone here shoot a bow and arrow? Okay, how easy is that? Okay, how about from a tree stand? Is it easier? No. Okay. Do it from a chariot. Now do it from a moving chariot. Now take off all the little illuminated sights and all the little, you know, Cabela's things you hang on it. Like you've got a piece of wood, a string, and a hand-built arrow. And you're moving in a chariot. And you just, what's the, what are the mathematical odds of this occurring? Well, with God's math, right? God sank this shot right through the heart. Thud. You know, one of the things, God's arrows are always accurate. They're very slow, right? That's the one thing about God and his, and his judgment is it's very slow, but when it acts, oh, it gets the target, doesn't it? You know, as we get frustrated, as we're experiencing political and social and economic and educational turmoil, our culture is, 
right? And we're wondering, God, where are you? Where's the justice? Where's this? Where it's coming? Oh, it's oh, it's coming. Revelation 19. I love that. I love that chapter because it tells me what we win. Right? We may not experience the justice of God in our lifetime necessarily. Maybe not even on this side of eternity. But the one thing we need to understand is nobody gets away with nothing. Right? What's the good news? God is watching. Oh, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for watching over me. What's the bad news? He's watching. Oh, yeah, that, that means one of the things we need to consider into this story, these are not pagan heathens. This is Israel governed by God, the northern kingdom. And he's getting a two for one. He's got the king of the southern kingdom down here too. Uh, the judgment of the Lord always begins where? House of the Lord. As we're going, Lord, judge the heathen. Judge the Democratic Party. God's going, I'm going to judge the church first, right? Oh, I'm going to send stuff at the church, and I'm going to shake the church. I'm going to sift the wheat from the chaff. We're like, no, get those godless heathen, those liberals. Let's get all those coexist stickers off the Subarus. No, no, no. God's going, get the Trump stickers off the Christians, right? Get the Republican stickers. Get the American flags off the Christians. Let's get the cross and the blood of Jesus back on the Christians. Well, Let's keep going here before I get banned from Facebook. <laughs> then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagan, so Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. Okay, add another shoot uphill in a chariot. This guy's good. <laughs> you know, this is where you're going to guarantee success in your ministry, Christian. Do what God has called you to do, right? All you got to do is take the shot and watch God land it. Right? And his servants carried him to the chariot in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of uh, Jero, uh, uh, I can't pronounce it today, Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Judah. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezreel heard of it, and she put a, in, in, excuse me, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then, as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? Oh. So now, keep in mind, this is 14 years after Ahab has died, her husband. Now, history says she was one of the most beautiful women ever in this land. We don't know. But either way, she's pulling out the... L'Oreal and all the makeup. And, and, and what's the point of that? Seduction, right? Why do girls wear makeup? Right. Why do men wear deodorant? Because we smell bad. I mean, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. You know, there's, there's things like that. So she's trying to deceive him with her look. She's trying to bat her little eyelashes at him. 
And he's, he's not having any of it. And he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. That didn't take much convincing. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the walls and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. Whew. I don't recall that flannel graph in Sunday school growing up. <laughs> and when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore, they came back and said, uh, and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, on the plot of the ground at Jezreel's dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel, so they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So why were these particular body parts left behind? Like as a warning, you know, it's her head in her hands. You know, the idea here is this is where the evil originated from. This is her points of contact had gone into the kingdom. And so what God is really showing us is a, is a warning. You know, he's, it, it's kind of like a play on words here that they found no more than a skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. Right, this is where she touched. This is where she tread. This is where the thoughts and the evilness originated. And God is using this as an object lesson, kind of like a, a trophy. It's an example of really what not to do, right? So, here lies Jezebel. So we have a couple characters in here we should kind of go over a little bit here. Jezebel just in hindsight here, she, it's the name synonymous with evil. She is the epitome of the wicked woman. So infamous is her name that to this day, no one names their baby Jezebel. <laughs> to call a woman a Jezebel is the greatest insult imaginable. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, a priest of the cruel, sensuous, false god Baal. Ethbaal, the priest king of Tyre, who murdered his own brother to take over the throne, was hardly a good father figure. But Jezebel followed in her father's footsteps and was herself a power-hungry murderess who stopped at nothing to get what she wanted. The king of Israel at the time was Ahab, who was a weak, self-pitying man who abdicated his authority to his bride, the princess Jezebel. In spite of God's laws forbidding idolatry and the worship of any god but the Lord, Ahab married this princess who brought to Israel with her hundreds of priests of lewd Baal worship, a cult that is a dom that a dom excuse me, a cult that tended to destroy manhood and drag womanhood into shame. Sound familiar? Jezebel was such a domineering person that she soon became master over her weak husband. One of her first acts was to order the extermination of the prophets of the Lord and to set up altars to Baal. So pervasive was her idolatrous influence in Israel that Jesus later used her name to refer to a woman who led the church at Thyatira into immorality and the worship of false gods. 
Jezebel's strongest enemy was the great prophet Elijah, who defied her and opposed her evil rule. First, he pronounced the punishment of God upon Israel in the form of a drought, which lasted three years. This culminated in a contest on Mount Carmel between the powers of Israel's true God and the Baals. After the 450 priests of Baal and the 400 priests of Asherah spent the day beseeching their gods with wailing and self-mutilation to end the drought, all to no avail, Elijah prayed to his omnipotent God who responded by accepting the sacrifice, having the false prophets slaughtered and provided an abundance of rain. Instead of acknowledging the awesome power of the one true God, Jezebel was enraged and vowed to kill Elijah. Elijah fled from her wrath into the wilderness. In the meantime, Jezebel was proving herself to be the greedy, murderous, evil woman she truly was. A righteous man named Naboth, owner of a vineyard next to Ahab's palace, Ahab offered to buy the vineyard, but Naboth, honoring God's command to keep inheritances within the family, rightly refused to sell. Ahab became sullen and angry and went home to sulk on his bed, Jezebel ridiculed him for his weakness and told him to cheer up, for she would get the vineyard for him. She plotted with two lying scoundrels to have Naboth falsely accused and denounced, then put to death. Then she calmly declared to, to Ahab that the vineyard was his. Here we see the formula for a disastrous marriage. A weak, childish man who allows his evil, domineering wife to rule the home. This is the exact opposite of God's plan for marriage. A loving husband who leads his family and, whose care, and who cares for his wife mirrors that of Christ in his church. And a godly woman who submits to her husband as to the Lord, each submitting to one out of reverence for Christ. As with all who defy the Lord, Jezebel's end was not a pretty one, although it was more gruesome than most, perhaps as an object lesson, to all who set themselves up against the one true God. Her doom was sure, having been prophesied by Elijah in 1 Kings 21. Even as she saw her death approaching, she remained defiant to the end, painting her face and adorning herself in queenly garments. She looked out the window and shouted her defiance to Jehu, the next king of Israel who came to take his throne. Jehu commanded her to be thrown out the window to her death, where she was trampled by the horse's hooves and almost entirely consumed by dogs. Her 30 years of tyranny over Israel had ended. The terror visited upon Jezebel was a testimony to the Israelites and to us that God's power is supreme, and those who defy him will meet a terrible end. So, Jezebel, all gone. What does this have to do with us? Well, we have this other character, Jehu. Although Jehu starts well, we're going to find in the next couple chapters, he's not going to do so well, right? He was swift, real quick to act, real quick to, to be obedient, but he had another love in his life. He never took down the golden calves, right? He never did 100% what God called him to do, right? And it's just like us. Some of us have started well in ministry, didn't we? The Bible never tells us to start well. It always says what? Finish well. For those youpers, that's not where we get water, right? A Finnish well, eh? Right? Sorry. Aaron's laughing out loud as a Finlander. Look at him. <laughs> We're to finish well, right? How's your speed? How's your pace? How's your fervency? How's your passion for the Lord right now, right? Have you completed what God has laid on your heart? 
You know, if you find yourself in a season of coolness or failure, there's a four-letter word I'm going to instruct you in how to use in your life to recover. It's the word oops. You just start over. Start your New Year's resolution today. Keep going, right? There's work to do, right? As long as there's unsafe people, we have work to do. As long as there's people that need ministry, we have work to do. A young guy, brother in the Lord, asked me, he says, don't you ever feel like you've talked to everyone in your community? And I said, no, not at all. He says, how, how so? I said, I, I, I took a map, and I drew a 30-mile radius around, let's say, Hope. And I, I went on, you know, Pastor Google, Professor Google, Professor Wikipedia, because everything on there is true. But the population density, right, when you draw a a circle around Houghton Hancock, you come up with about 20,000 people minus college students. I've not talked to 20,000 people yet. You know, probably, you know, a couple hundred maybe. But until the last person's reached, I mean, we don't know who the last person's going to get saved before the rapture happens, but there's work to do. Okay? But what's going to slow us down is the what? The cares of the world. Right? We'll cool off. You get caught up into what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. We have Jezebel to fight. But understand, men are going to stand up. God has given you an anointing and a calling. He never told you and I it was going to be easy, did he? He, he never said anybody's going to like you for it. He never said that there's going to necessarily be visible success. Right? As you see the judgment and justice of God, you understand when we look at what's about to happen in our world, right? for the record, we are not in the tribulation. There's a lot of people, are we in the tribulation? No. <laughs> this is just a glimpse. Some of the things we saw in the last two years is a glimpse. But if you find yourself in the tribulation, it's because you're not saved. okay? Because all the people are going to get raptured that are, are Christians. But the idea is, is God is going to take seven years. Why is he going to take so long? You ever think about that? If I were God, right? Send the lightning bolt, right? Just send it, Lord. Just, you know, no, he's going to take seven years. And all he's really going to do is take his hand off the world, right? Just, you, gotta, you want a world without God? Here you go. And it's going to look great up front, isn't it? The one world leader is going to show up, solve all the problems. There's going to be some peace in the midst of huge cataclysm, right? All the world's going to be, it's the Jews' fault. Let's kill the Jews, right? Israel's going to get slaughtered. There's going to be a holocaust. And then the beast is going to demand worship from everyone. And the thing is, is everyone is going to willfully worship the beast. No one's going to be tricked. Right, as all these anti-vaxxers, and I'm an anti-vaxxer. I shouldn't say that. I'll get banned from YouTube. <laughs> they was like, "Oh, I'm worshiping the beast by taking the mark." No, 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 no. You gotta understand. You're not gonna be duped into it. We're just being conditioned right now for it. But when 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 the beast shows up, he says, "If you love me, you're gonna do all these things. They're gonna get in line." And then what are they gonna do? They're gonna kill Christians, wholesale slaughter. Right? Those who get saved during the tribulation will die. And you're going, God, where's your justice? Revelation 19. It says the Lord himself is going to fight. We're going to come back with him, but we're just going to sit there eating popcorn and falafels going, watch what he's going to do. You know, We're going to just be in the air. And God himself, Christ himself is going to fight against the enemies of Israel. And he will set up his earthly kingdom. 
right? Isn't that good news? Come on, say amen. Come on, you white people. Amen. Amen. Golf club. <laughs> We're going to reign and rule with the Lord for a thousand years with rods of iron. What do you use a rod of iron for? Whacking people, right? We're going to be whacking. We're going to be, we're going to be instituting God's reign on this earth for a thousand years. There will be justice. There is also going to be a great white throne judgment, an eternal justice. Those who reject Jesus will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Now, God desires that what? None shall perish. Okay, We shouldn't be excited about that. You and I will have friends and family at this event. We will be at that event with them. They won't be at our judgment. We will be at theirs, and we're going to see. The Lord's just going to look at them, and they're going to look at us going, should have listened, right? But nobody's going to be there by accident, right? We need to understand people have free will, but we need to be about going about the enemies of these people's lives. These people are POWs. People aren't our, our enemies, are they? You ever, you ever treat those who don't believe with your political and social views as enemies? Fox News has told you who to hate. CNN has told you who to hate. The Bible tells me who to hate. My sin. It says hate my sin and to hate Satan, but never to hate people. They're image bearers. We need to go after them. We need to be about winning them to the cause of Christ. Well, there's work to do. <laughs> Let's not be like Jehu and slow down towards the end. We'll get into that more. But God is just, guys. Thank God for us who are believers because the justice of God was satisfied where? On the cross. Oftentimes I look at the evilness in this world, the people who run and administrate our world and our country, and I'm like, God, get them. You know what he tells me? I did. I got them on the cross. Just where I got you, Ben. He says, I got them in the same spot I got you. As he says, I died for their sin too, Right? Aaron lovingly taught us this a few weeks back, right? Where while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so God has made a way and offered up salvation to the most vile, wicked people that run our world. And, and it's because they're image bearers of him. He loves them. So we can't look at them as enemies because when those people die, they're not going to like where they go. Do we pray for our leaders? Do we pray for our world? Do we pray for the people around us? I mean, sometimes I don't have enough faith to pray for even all of Michigan. It's hard. I don't know where to start. I can't pray for the whole UP, but I can pray for Lorium. I can pray for Calumet. I can pray for the Keweenaw. You know, I can pray for my block. How many of you guys have shared your faith with your neighbor? How many of you guys have shared your faith with the people you do business with on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we'll give an account, you know. Oftentimes it's difficult to get a foot in the door, you know. But be praying that the Lord opens those doors. I like those prayers because God answers those. Be like, Lord, give me an opportunity to minister to A, B, and C. And the Lord will just be like, line up the shot. Because that's his heart. You know, just like, you know, Jehu, all he had to do was just draw the bow. You know, you ever find God just sets you up for success? You're like, man, I really want to reach this person. And God just like, whoop, there it is. And you're like, I wonder if I should tell them about Jesus. 
how do you know you're supposed to tell them about Jesus? They're there, and you have the gospel. I think God's going, hey, wouldn't this be a great opportunity to minister to people? Oh, what if they don't like me? Um, who became a Christian to make friends? You know, I have all the friends I'm going to make for the rest of my life. I have kids now. At least for the next 14, 18 years, they'll like me. You know. And then when they stop, I can stop feeding them, and they can go out and feed themselves. So where are you at in the story today? I like Jehu. I wish he would finish well, but I have to warn myself because I have a little Jehu inside of me. Start something well, but don't quite take full inventory of what I need to get done. I can be an Ahab. All right? I can abdicate. I can, I can lay down on the callings and the obedience God has called me to do and let the people around me suffer. But remember, in 150 years, who's going to remember any of this? Right? Hey, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be dining. We're going to be singing. Oh, isn't that great? We're going to be on that great banquet, hanging out with Jesus. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word.